Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of As We Like It. Today we're going to be discussing another version of Romeo and Juliet, the 1961 classic movie West Side Story. Uh, based on the 1957 play, the music is by Leonard Bernstein, the lyrics are by a young Stephen Sondheim and his first professional job, and the book is by Arthur Lawrence. So, you may know Leonard Bernstein from being the most famous American conductor and composer of his time. He did another operetta, or he did an operetta at the same time based on Voltaire's Candide. Um, you might know Stephen Sondheim for being the greatest American musical theater composer and lyricist of all time, uh, working on such classics as A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, Merrily We Roll Along, Sunny in the Park with George, Into the Woods, and Assassins. <laughs> uh, I'm a total Sondheim stan, so... Uh, Arthur Lawrence wrote the script for the Arthur Hitchcock one-shot classic Rope, as well as the classic musical Gypsy, and um, I'm sure some other things, but, you know, those are the big ones. That and West Side Story is enough on your resume, yeah. I think, to make you... <laughs> yeah. Rope was a great film. <laughs> That's I can highly recommend Rope. Yeah. Oh, he um, directed the 1983 musical La Caja Folle, which won the mm. Tony Award oh, for yeah. Best Original Musical over Stephen Sondheim's 1984 piece, Sunday in the Park with George. However, Sunday in the Park with George went on to win the Pulitzer for Drama, which La Caja Folle did not. So. Yeah. That is an interesting footnote. Yes. And I'm going to quickly demonstrate the depth of my Sondheim knowledge by doing the following piece from Company. It's called not getting married today. Pardon me, is everybody here? Because everybody's here. I'd like to thank you all for coming to the wedding. I'd appreciate you going even more. I mean, that's better thing to do. Not a word of Paul. You remember Paul? You know the man I'm going to marry. Being I'm not because it wouldn't ruin anyone's wonderful things. As I run out of breath, that is my party trick. So enough, <laughs> enough of me gabbing. <laughs> um, if you if you are familiar with Sondheim, he is a very uh, brainy musical theater lyricist, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. some of that pokes out a little bit you know it starts to become visible in west side story um on the other hand a lot of the words in this or a lot of the lyrics in this show i found were downright simpleton dumb <laughs> <laughs> well i think it was pitched at least partly at the level of the characters that we were supposedly watching yes right? i mean the... it would be odd to have the kind of level of lyrics that he often uses oh, yeah. coming I out mean, of their mouths so the the song i just sang a snippet of has a reference to the sergey eisenstein film battleship potemkin mm -hmm. which this is I don't... not something that the jets or the sharks should be mentioning in no. <laughs> yeah I, I i don't think a teenage gang member in 1957 new york city is going to be familiar with uh expressionist russian silent film mm -hmm. <laughs> that exactly. said you, you never know it is new york <laughs> so I guess not, had none of us had seen this before. No, um, no. Amazingly, like yeah. I've never seen it, and it's amazing that that we it, it took so long for us to come to this film because it's in a way the sort of classic example of adapting Shakespeare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we all loved Ten Things I Hate About You so much. Like this is really the movie that created that as a concept mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you know not just adapting Shakespeare, but of using the structure but casting it in or but you know of, of using the structure but reforming it in such a way that it conforms to kind of a modern teen audience because i'd say like yeah. well west side story was a crossover hit like this is very clearly targeted towards teenagers yes absolutely this is yeah. not yeah and so it's a tr it's a translation in a way mm -hmm. um into the vernacular uh, in the same way that 10 Things was. Yeah. And I guess, well, I don't know. We It, it seemed like such an obvious movie that we just didn't do it, mm. I think. <laughs> and I, it was funny going into it. I felt like I had seen clips of it. And of course, I knew lots of the songs yeah. and things. But in fact, I don't think I'd even seen as many clips as I thought. What I had seen was 18 billion parodies of it. Right. But not actually any of hardly any if any of the shots themselves from the actual movie mm. yeah there there's some classics from it that i think everybody knows mm -hmm. you know tonight tonight oh the songs yeah yeah, yeah uh, america yes yeah yeah and, and uh, i feel pretty, I feel pretty yeah. and uh, okay so just I met a girl named maria yeah. i yeah. will admit i i honestly thought up until two and a half hours ago that i feel pretty was from 
My Fair Lady. Oh, I thought it was from Sound of Music. So there you go. <laughs> well, okay. So Robert, <laughs> I mean, I've seen Sound of Music, so I should have known that. But as soon as it started playing, I thought, wait, wasn't that in? Oh, uh, see, I, I knew not. it wasn't from either of those two, but I thought it was from something else that I just couldn't put my finger on. <laughs> yeah. So there so we none go. None of us thought it was in this. It's just one of these songs that, oh, that's in some famous musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But which well, one? <laughs> so, I mean, you thought it was from Sound of Music, Avon. Mm-hmm. Robert Wise, the director of this movie, later went on to direct Sound of Music. Yeah. Uh, can you guess what other movie he ended up directing? I mean, there's there are a lot, but I'm hinting at a specific one here from 1979. Uh, no. Star Trek, the motion picture. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's very similar in style, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, he's not a musical director, generally. Um, If he did Sound of Music and West Side Story. Yeah. I mean, how much more of a musical director can you be than somebody who does those? I suppose he became one. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too familiar with how he came to the movie. Or really what his career is beyond that. I mm-hmm. I knew I recognized that name. So I quickly looked it up on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of his movies are like sci-fi. He did The Body Snatcher. He did The oh, Day okay. the Earth Stood Still. Right, he, right. He, so those yeah. are very different, yeah. He, he did The Andromeda Strain. Right, okay. So, so you can see why Star Trek The Motion Picture then. Yeah. But the two musicals stand out there. <laughs> I mean, at the same time... This was co-directed by him and Jerome Robbins. Now, Jerome Robbins is a choreographer who directed the Broadway performance. So you could say, like, a lot of the technical requirements for sci-fi, you know, it's all about kind of large-scale kind of technical choreography. So I could see that meshing very well with having a co-director who is focused on the dance itself. Yeah. So... It sort of sounds like a silly question to ask about such an incredibly well-known movie, (laughs) but maybe we should just get this out of the way. What did you think of it, John? You know, it was, I don't really like it as a a musical. It's not my kind of musical, but Mm -hmm. I like it as an interpretation of Romeo and Juliet. Mm, Yeah. I was surprised by how much I was engaged by it. I really got into it. Emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly did as well. Now it's very easy to get me engaged emotionally. Um, I was, of course, weeping by the end of it. Uh, but, I mean, as a musical, I, lo- I loved the dancing. Yes. Absurd as it is, the, the kind of conf- connection between the style of dancing and the people who are doing it is just almost surreal. But I loved it. But the music... Um, it's it's very i'm kind of more populist in my musical theater preferences i like the stuff that has a tune you could possibly imagine singing yourself oh boy you would not like sunday in the park with george then leonard bernstein is not known for being for his contribution to popular culture he's known for his contributions to high culture yeah no exactly and so i i mean i it's not that i didn't like listening to them but part of it is that all the way through i was sitting there thinking god that's hard to sing (laughs) <laughs> it was very hard to detach myself from that. <laughs> See, I was just thinking this is really daring and and mm-hmm. exciting and interesting music. Interesting yeah. music. Oh, and, and it is. Mm-hmm. And I liked it from an audience point of view in that mm-hmm. way. But for music, like I kind of like a musical where I could imagine sort of wandering around humming it afterwards. Mm. And I can only get about a phrase into almost any of those songs without realizing I've lost the key. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean... What I will say is I noticed a lot of things that stood out to me as being kind of like early Sondheim, proto Sondheim with the way, I mean, he relishes wordplay more Mm -hmm. than almost anyone else out there. And a lot of the inter-rhyme, interline rhymes that he did, I think are really representative of that. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette till your last dying day, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're a jet, the mm -hmm. spit hits the fan, you got brothers around, you're a family man, like... There's something about the way Sondheim rhymes, like it's so obvious and on the point, but at the same time, there's something very Sondheim about it to me. And the rhythm of it is, yeah, is the, just so... All the way through the rhythms were just... But now that's Bernstein again, yeah. but yeah. Bernstein, Bernstein, Bernstein. I admired the music all the way through. Mm. And, and some of it was also very moving, but there was also a lot of it that was sort of... Um, Filler. Off-put- yeah, well... Oh, I wouldn't 
wouldn't say that necessarily. Though boy, some of it boy, was. crazy boy, get cool boy, got a rocket in your pocket, keep coolly cool boy. Well, see, you're focusing on the lyrics, and I get that. Um, I thought that song, though, musically, yeah, and to, and with the with the choreography was really effective. For me, anyway, that scene had the lyrics been. I mean, obviously, they're a little. They feel a little dated and odd in terms of exact you know words that are being used but had it been any more complicated i think it would have detracted from the power that whole scene isn't about him reasoning with anybody yeah it's about the pathos and and also the visceral connection of you have this emotion and we all have to feel this emotion get through this emotion and then put a lid on this emotion and that can't be translated into words. These are not people who work through words. These are people who work through movement and sound. That's what these boys do. And, I, I can't. I cannot and, believe you just said that line in relationship to Shakespeare. <laughs> no, but I mean, but that's one of the things that a musical setting of Shakespeare yeah. is going to do. That's going to be different than what Shakespeare does. I mean, that was the same with Falstaff, right? When we did the Falstaff opera. There was stuff in false yeah. stuff that wasn't about the book. It was about, or wasn't about the lyrics. It was about the music. Mm. That, that's very true. Job. That's a very apt point. Um, mm -hmm. What I will say to that, though, is I felt like the musical was cobbled by what was very clearly its attempts to get around censorship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, there so, was some definite stuff in there. <laughs> Though the rocket in the pocket, I was like, really? They got that past the censorship? <laughs> Well, that could theoretically refer to I know, it could mean anything else, I know. <laughs> it just seemed very obvious. But, I mean, you get moments where, you know, a character will say, like, cut the frabba-jabba or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that's very clearly invented for the movie that I don't really mm -hmm. think anybody would say. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's supposed to kind of feel... Sound cool. Yeah, yeah but... Like, Hepcat it, cool, but it's not. Yeah. Like that girl in one of the scenes where one of the jet girls is... Scoobly doo, goobly doo, goobly doing all the all the way through, like in the background. It's like that's no, yeah, people weren't saying that. Like I know that's like what some people were saying, but it's not what they were doing. <laughs> that that though I thought that they made some fairly overt, not word, you know, they didn't swear, but some fairly overt references to sex and um, things like that. That was kind of interesting for the period. And like, what ways? Like the scene where. Um, uh, Anita is getting ready in in the in the in the oh, medley scene when yes. all of them the jets and the sharks are preparing for the rumble and and the others are reprising tonight. Um, uh, Tony and and Maria are and Anita is preparing for her date after the rumble and she's putting on her stockings and she's talking about he's going to come home and he's going to he's going to come back and he'll be tired but doesn't matter if he's tired as long as he's there and and there's a whole I mean she's putting on stockings and she's doing things with her hands and it's really really clear what she means and that that's what he's what they're going to be doing that night and i just thought that was very direct for that period i mean before that they were a lot more direct about but this is sort of in that period when they when the censorship is much more strict and and there was also a scene before that when anita was talking about uh you know they have to get something out of their system oh yeah the boys they have to yes it's like when they were dancing, they have to get that out of their system. And when they fight, they have to get it out of their system. And she says, uh, Maria says, what? What do you mean, it? And she says, I don't know. But when Tony comes back from fighting, he's very yeah, healthy. Exactly. Very oh, yeah. healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, there was not a lot of subtlety no, about that. Yeah. They weren't using swear, you know, explicit words, but there was no. And I mean, Tony and Maria are clearly in bed. Yeah. At the at the end, so maybe we should talk about it as a Shakespeare adaptation. However, mm. well, this is actually a good segue. There's one last thing I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about with regards to lyrics, mm -hmm. and that was I, I didn't think this was omnipresent, but obviously you're not going to translate iambic pentameter to music because it doesn't really work well mm -hmm. for singing. Um, but I thought that there was a bit of a nod to that in some of the songs because they used a very simple uh, stress pattern yeah yeah um so specifically i'm thinking of like the jet song i'm not sure what the actual name of it is but 
you know, when you're a jet, you're a jet when all the way jet, from your first. Jet, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. From your first cigarette till your last dying day when you're a jet. If the, you know, like mm-hmm. it, 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 there's a little bit of, you know, pushing it around. But like maybe I'm just trying to find connections here, but it felt like a, a nod at that kind of, you know, up, down, up, down, you know, very simple mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. metrical structure. Pointing out the feet in the line, basically. Yeah. yeah, and the way I mean, it's you know, it's incredibly regular, and it's not trochaic octameter, or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, though the rhythms in other places were very uh, complex, I would say too. Yeah, but yeah, but there was a lot of emphasis on that kind of rhythmic speech, I would say, and I think I think you're right. I think that's probably in part tying back to the sort of Shakespearean stuff. What was fun about this for me is. I, I watched it this afternoon. And in fact, the first thing I did when I get to, got to work is I messaged one of my favorite people, uh, one of my favorite coworkers, and I was like, hey, uh, any interest in watching West Side Story with me tonight? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, sure. I haven't seen that movie since I was in high school or whatever. So we watched it together. Mm-hmm. And the whole time we were like, wait a minute. who is this person that who, you know, who all oh, that? OK, so clearly he's blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And who was who was Paris? I don't even remember what Paris was, you know. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed that because like, the musical does, I th- I think, a fairly good job of casting most of the characters, mm-hmm. but doing it in p- pushing things around just enough that it's not immediately obvious. Mm. So, like, it wasn't really until the end of the play that I realized that I think the name, her name was Anybody's, but it was the the girl who was, like, a jet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that is Balthazar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. right. I hadn't placed her particularly. Or um, Doc, mm-hmm. the you know the pharmacy. Yeah, the Doc owner. is is Friar Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, some of it's very clear. Uh, mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet are Tony and Maria, and mm-hmm. you know, if things were pushed around maybe slightly a little bit, so that uh, Tybalt was her brother instead of her cousin. That mm-hmm. was um, and and we have Anita instead of what I thought was interesting was the entire absence of the parents. Yeah, so so um, Bernardo is also in a sense uh, Capulet. Yes, yes. And all, and Anita is her mother. Yeah. As well as her friend. The nurse, in a way, yeah. as, well. as well. as the nurse. Because she's yeah, the, yeah. the confidant, the one person who mm-hmm. knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so she, she takes on multiple roles. And there are parents who are referred to and even heard off screen, but when we never see them. And, and obviously that's a very conscious choice. And I thought that was really interesting as a way mm-hmm. to translate. If you talk about translating it for a... Um, a teen I, audience, yeah, they removed almost all the adults. Yeah, well, and then you have that weird, you know. Speaking of when the lyrics get a little bit too much, that song about like psychotherapy and social. Oh, she offs a Krupke. I, I turned to my friend. and I was like, "Wow, there's a reason why the only part of the song I recognize is the chorus." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, like, there are a few moments in it that you know are are catchy and easy, but I felt like for the most of it, the, the song was a little too sophisticated for the Jets really to be singing. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, you know what I thought was interesting there. I I I know what you mean, and that's sort of what I was saying earlier. That I think there's lots of places where they have to be simplistic in the lyrics because who's singing it? Yeah. I kind of thought that part was interesting because to me, and this is headcanony a bit, but I felt like they know that language because they've been through that system. So you're saying that they're all like. They're not street toughs, really. They're like no, no. I mean, they have. They've been through the system as the street as toughs the, yeah. on the end oh, of it. Okay, they've right? dealt with so many. Uh, they've social been workers sent to and... the social workers, and they've been in front of the judge, and they've been to the shrink, and they've been well, through all of those people, and I they mean, know how to play the game because they've been told by each of those people. Oh, well, this is what's wrong with you, and you know, if you parrot these words back at me, then I'll give you the right thing you want to know. And so they know all of that language, and that's why they're able to deploy it in this kind of mocking way I mean, not because I, they they were trained in it but because they've been through that system over and over again i i feel yes to the social workers but i don't feel like any of them would have seen psychoanalysts like the doctor you don't think Freud, so? no I, I don't like that to me was pure sondheim because sondheim grew up in the upper west side in the san remo one of the most famous condo buildings in manhattan like overlooking central park with a single mother who hated him he went to therapy for years. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, there was a line in that song where it was "Dad beats Mom and Mom beats Me." That was basically Sondheim's childhood. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, you like, might uh, be right about the the psychotherapy, but I but I do think 
I think it was believable to me anyway uh, yeah. that that they would have seen it from from the recipient perspective. Yeah. If they knew any of the language, that would be how they would know it. So, you know, that one or more of them would have been through some... Because what they were sort of, you know, the parody of the idea was that there's just this big cycle. They just keep going through. Everybody shuts yeah. them off to the next person. And I mean, that is certainly a true thing. Whether psychotherapists are one of the people you see on that cycle, you might true. be right. Maybe that's not Maybe that's not actually a, a likely stop for a poor... Um, you know, for somebody who's not in the the upper echelons of society, you might be right. And but, well, yeah. I mean, what I found interesting about this is that they cast the prince as like a cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and a not non sympathetic cop, mm-hmm. like an asshole cop. Yeah, um, as opposed, you know, like not as a a cop who is just doing his best to try to keep the streets safe he sort of starts that way you think that's what he is at the beginning but in that scene in the diner in the doc's shop he's not and so they really i think that transforms the prince because the prince in in romeo and juliet he never does anything that you could criticize him for right he seems to have the best interests of everybody at heart and what he says is never unreasonable even if it's a bit draconian sometimes seems completely reasonable and that's not the lieutenant Oh, sorry, Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> the Lieutenant. <laughs> there is no it's not like that. conceivable F sound in the way that word is spelled. Yeah, so are you trying to tell me that you're going to make an argument from logic for the pronunciation of English? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, really. <laughs> I know, I know. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I totally derailed us there. I didn't mean to. So <laughs> anyway, but what? I I think I do think it's interesting that they they transform him into a su- you know such an unsympathetic character in the end. Yeah, I mean, one thing I found interesting was the fact that they cast them as rival racial gangs. Where mm-hmm. one like they're Puerto Ricans. Okay, that is that makes a lot of sense. This is New York City, and particularly the mm-hmm. neighborhood and time where they were like that's very accurate mm-hmm. but then the jets were this kind of pan white gang the you know tony they refer mm-hmm. to him as being polish mm-hmm. but then there are other characters who they refer to as mix and mm-hmm. other characters they refer to as wops which is an old racial term for, uh, for, for Italian. italians yeah. so like that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me especially because they're in like the west 50s that's an irish neighborhood through and through the italians would have been in little italy and isn't that the sort of the point of the lieutenant is Irish, I think. They mock him using an Irish accent at one point. And he hates these immigrant scum. And he hates the Jets for being immigrant scum. That's what happens in the uh, in the in Doc's shop, right? He turns on all of them for being immigrant scum. And so I think that was the point anyway with the Jets is that they were also from immigrant families but white immigrant families who were here just that one generation before the puerto ricans yeah and therefore you know do the thing that all immigrants do if i've been here longer than you you're the horrible people coming in and obviously the same with the police but i don't know the exact makeup of that neighborhood you you'd know that better than me yeah hell's kitchen at the time was an irish neighborhood Mm -hmm. but wouldn't that be perhaps why there'd be resentment even against the jets if they are kids of you know kids of the fa- of the immigrant families into that neighborhood, I don't know. I I don't know enough of that, honestly. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. either. So let's let's talk about I think the biggest conceit in the film, which is removing the suicide oh, plot yeah. entirely. Yeah. yeah. So and in, instead they have Maria lie after basically getting raped, gang raped. Anita, Anita, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, Anita lie. Um, after being, yeah, after being assaulted, yeah. Which, you know, she says that Paris, the equivalent of Paris, I don't remember mm-hmm. his name. Uh, Chico, I think that was it? Uh, Ch- no, or Chino. Chino. Chino, Chino. Yeah, Chino he, has he, shot Maria, yeah. Yeah, and so then Tony He's, angry is like, Chino, come out and blah, blah, blah. And then Mar- Maria's like, no, Tony, don't do it. So he sees her alive and then Chino shoots him and then they have a last moment together and then she doesn't die at all. Which that's... Yeah. A major departure from Romeo and Juliet. I think one of the things that does is it 
places the focus on the male violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, she gets her, her, her last sort of moment to, you know, accuse them. It's your, you know, it's your violence mm-hmm. and your hatred that did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed, you know, the, the female characters, particularly, I guess, on the, the shark side, were um, critical of the, the violence. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think there is this real focus on, you know, masculine violence. Yeah, I actually, I was thinking exactly the same thing when I was watching that end. I thought, well, yeah, so first of all, they have, uh, sorry? I, I was going to say, I mean, yes, but Maria finds out that Tony killed her brother. And she's like, oh, but I love him. And then she's saying to Anita, who mm-hmm. was in love with mm-hmm. Bernardo, and has her, Anita deliver the message? I saw the same thing. And I think that there's a couple of things I wanted to, to say about that end, too. Um, I mean, I, Tony was suicidal. Yeah, in that sense, right? When he was trying to, right? to, he was trying to find Chino yeah. to get himself killed. So he didn't, he, he did it in the end accomplish his suicide. It wasn't posed as suicide in the same obvious way. Yeah. But he thinks she's dead. He goes out looking for, to be killed and is killed. So I think, you know, I think you could, you could argue that that was, a, did achieve the suicidal note. I, I agree there. I, but yeah. So the, the, obviously the big difference is Maria. And, yeah. and that she does. And she even says it. And I thought that should was I? really interesting. She doesn't even say, should I? She says, how many bullets are there? Are there, are there enough, enough for me to yeah. kill you and you and you? And then one left for me. And I thought at the at that point, I thought she would do that. Like, that's what I thought it was building up to. I thought she was going to kill herself. But then the sort of the moment passes and she doesn't. But I agree with you that I think it's a major shift in the emphasis mm-hmm. from Romeo and Juliet. Because in Romeo and Juliet... Um, you know, she when when Juliet finds out that uh, her cousin is dead, she's she's full of vengeance. She's full of anger, and we have those other female figures. We have the nurse, we have the mother, we have cool. these other female figures who are just as invested in yeah. the in the uh, quarrel and the the feud. Right here, the women are not. But we also have them in a different role, which they're not, it's not really emphasized in the Shakespeare of being the incitement to violence. So this is a very traditional role for women is to be the trigger of violence. And here Maria, and and I mean, it's sort of there in the Romeo and Juliet, but it's really not highlighted because Mm -hmm. in fact, all of the quarrels don't really happen over that because they don't, nobody knows about it. Right. Whereas in this, the kind of first major fight between the sharks and sharks and the jets happens because Maria and Tony dance together. Exactly. Yeah. And it's known and 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 Bernardo is looking for Tony because he knows about, you know, which is a real it's quite a radical change actually from the Romeo and Juliet. How many people know about it and see it? Because in Romeo and Juliet, the general Montagues and Capulets don't know about their relationship. Yeah. It's all kept very very secret. It's only the nurse and and Friar Lawrence. But in this one it becomes sort of general knowledge quite quickly. And so she becomes the inciter. She's the Helen of this of this war. It's, it's it's funny that you say that because when I was watching this with my friend Katie and we were comparing who the characters were, I mean, I had a list of the characters from Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he's Paris. And Katie said, who's Paris again? And I was like, oh, Paris was the Prince of Troy who stole Helen from. <laughs> but like, you know, obviously yeah. that's a super oversimplification. But sometimes these... These Very, connections matter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think I think because, you know, so one of the one of the traditional roles for women in myth and in story and all, all of these things is to create violence and then to be the ones decrying violence. So they're both. There's this tension mm-hmm. between women as the inciter or the, the, the trigger to violence and then also the mourning mothers and the weeping wives and the and the women who come between their husbands and their brothers and create peace so they're the peacemakers and the mourners but they're also the cause of violence and that i thought was exactly how west side story played it the women cause the violence not intentionally but are nonetheless the trigger for it but then are also the ones hurt by the violence the ones left to grieve and the ones who then so maria at the end is a voice for reconciliation though she's not really about reconciliation but a voice for pointing out the problem that Juliet isn't. Juliet never gets to say no. that. Yeah. It's her. It's Juliet's death, along with Romeo, 
that causes the reconciliation. But she doesn't get to stand there and say, you and you, you did this. Don't do this anymore. So Maria gets to have that voice yeah. in a different. So it's a, it, I, I think it's a it's quite a it's a shift away from Romeo and Juliet, but it's a shift towards a very traditional storytelling technique of having the woman at the focus of this violence, of, of very male violence. Yeah. You're quite this, right. is, this, this is not the time for the conversation, but now I really want to have a conversation with you about Penelope. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I could talk to you about Penelope quite a long time. And Penelope and Helen is two sides of the same coin um, in terms of incitement, but also as reconciliation. I mean, they're both the destination in their respective mm-hmm. narratives. Uh, what mm-hmm. I will say, though, is I think letting Maria live is the... It, it's a way to cast the tragedy in a contemporary sense mm-hmm. because you know the the tragedy in Rome or the what what is it the, the, there's no tale of greater woe than that of Juliet and her Rome like what is sad is the dramatic irony there mm-hmm. Romeo died without Juliet knowing that Juliet was still alive and vice versa and they both yeah. you know it, it's tragic because it's two lives cut short but the tragedy in West Side Story is that Maria has to live knowing that all of this happened. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it, it's instead of this, as you say, irony, there's, there's no irony in this movie. I would say like all the, and that's part of this issue of this. There's so few, the secrets are more exposed. Mm. The dramatic irony that so underlies so much of Romeo and Juliet about who knows what, when, and, doesn't know and you know messages not given and all that yes there's a moment of that when anita lies but it's exposed he sees her right and and i mean yes there's a little irony in chino coming and killing him right after he realizes he doesn't want chino to kill him and things like that but they do get to have that moment together and so you're right i think the tragedy is is shifted quite dramatically from one form i mean i will it's not true to say that there's no irony because there's a lot of verbal irony Oh, yeah. So and, I'm and thinking of dramatic irony. Dramatic, I'm thinking of no, that dramatic, that dramatic irony, irony. Specifically. Yeah. And I mean, I think you could even argue that there's a lot of situational irony. But it is interesting seeing, like, how the, like you're almost pushing it into different categories. Mm-hmm. And uh, sort of getting back to the point that you made, John, about how this mechanism is different of, you know, having Anita intentionally... Mm-hmm you know, mislay the message rather than it being an accident. This is, I think, one of the really fundamental, it highlights one of the really fundamental differences between West Side Story and Romeo and Juliet is that Romeo and Juliet, right from the start, is all about fate. It's the Mm -hmm. star-crossed lovers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, who are doomed by fate. Repeatedly, they refer, you know, Romeo, when mm-hmm. he kills Tybalt, he says, I am fortune's fool. Mm-hmm. But you in West Side Story, you, you, you get this, you know, heavy sense of inevitability. You well, know, they're I, trapped by their circumstance yeah. and the the world that they live in. But it's a it's inevitable, but it's inevitable because of in because of individual people's choices. I mean, I, I, there's a sort of tension there between like it's the system and the society mm-hmm. and all of them are trapped. We didn't make this world. That yeah. line that yeah. he says when he says you make this world crummier, Doc says, and the 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 jet says we didn't make the world. And, and so that's true. But on the other hand, it's also a series of people making individual yeah. choices to keep hating, to keep attacking, to keep being proud, to keep fighting. And, and that's brought up again and again by the girls in particular mm-hmm. saying, why do you keep doing this? And it's those choices, not accident. It's not accident it's not that accident. Chino kills yeah, Tony. No. It's deliberate hatred and mm-hmm. you know maintain, maintenance of the feud. But isn't that, isn't that what the back and forth... Be- between the women and the men in America is about, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. Um, industry boom America versus twelve in a room in America. Lots mm-hmm. of new housing with more space. Lots of doors slamming in our face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll get a terrace apartment. Better get over your accent. Life can be bright in America if you can fight in America. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it is about contrasting that in such a way that like yes the these are possible these are there but at the same time like you're there's a system that you're mm-hmm. kind of stuck within. Exactly. And yeah. it's only your ability to navigate that system that determines your, you know, if, your if you success will, in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's, but it's, it's both your, it's your ability to, to navigate it, but also the choices you make in how you react to that mm-hmm. system. So, you know, the, the choice of, of what do you do about it? Because Tony is making a different choice, yeah. right? There is a different choice on offer. Now, that may not be a choice open to Bernardo in the same way. And that's part of that song. 
But the Jets all have another choice they could make, or at least Tony suggests they do. I mean, there's, we're not told that Tony has any particular privilege or, you know, luck or better, you know, richer family or something like that that allows him to get a job and decide not to be part of the Jets. He's chosen. He said, you know what? I don't want this life anymore. This isn't what I want to do. I want to do something else. And he's made that decision. And the other Jets haven't. So I agree. There's a system there. And it's, it's absolutely about pointing out how trapped by that system they are. And how um, it's sort of this odd claustrophobia, even, you know, of, of they're in this tiny patch of city that they're defending with their lives, literally, and all of that stuff. But at the same time, it's also about individual choices they're making to continue to react in the way that they're reacting. Neither of those things, neither the system nor the individual choices are what Shakespeare's about, right? Yeah. I do think that that difference between the star-crossed lovers and the politically and societally crossed lovers, mm -hmm. and I think that's at the heart of this, of turning them into two racially contrasted gangs is the key, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's so different than the Montagues and Capulets. Well, exactly. I mean, with the Montagues and the Capulets, it's it comes down to an airy word is the cause of the feud, right? This mm -hmm. trivial, trivial. Ins insignificant. And both, they're, they're alike they're in alike dignity, in dignity right? Yeah. They have the same position in society. And yeah. that's completely different than yeah. the Jets and the Sharks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it would have been entirely different if... It were, you know, Antonio and Mary. You know, if it were uh, two families who just who just hated each other, which is, of course, you know, a completely possible thing. It could have been two families on the same street. Yeah, it, it could have been that section from Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, no, it, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to create that in different, mm -hmm. constructed in a different way. But by making it about racial tensions and about power imbalance and about those things... I, I also thought the other point I just wanted to make about um, the suicide note, I, th that is leaving out the suicide, I also felt like that was simply, to some extent, a concession to different religious and societal mores. I mean, yeah. I don't know that it would have been impossible. I think that's the same with Tony. He he commits suicide in a sense, but he doesn't actually kill himself. And I just I just think that that, you know, that displayed on film of teenagers killing themselves actively. So I think that there was a certain amount of sort of constraint there on their storytelling yeah. that it yeah. would have been hard for them to do that. I almost expected them to both die from the the gunshot. Yes, I I expected them to, uh, uh, by that point at the beginning, I didn't think any of them were going to die at the end. But then once some of them had died, and I realized that we were indeed going to get the everybody dying, uh, then I thought it was going to be accidental death Yeah, for all of them. And I was surprised that she survived. I really was. Yeah. And like, what happens to Cheat? Like, there were so many un unanswered questions right at the well, end. He presumably goes to jail for he murder. He goes to jail for murder, yeah. And which is also not in the Shakespeare. Well, but in Shakespeare, Paris gets killed by Romeo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's very, so. yeah, it's just different. Um, but the, I think the biggest all other thing is, do you feel that the Jets and Sharks were reconciled at the end of that? No. Did you think this put an end to it? No. I mean, there was the one moment where the Sharks helped, helped raise to Tony's body, body yeah. and that was definitely a softening. And then the Jet put the head covering, headscarf over mm. Maria, right? So there was a moment from each side of recognizing the humanity in the other. But they all walked off to their own sides and there was no, like, I didn't feel that this was a reconciliation or that there was going to be any end to the violence. Yeah. And I think that's a really major change too. What I did find interesting is the ways in which some of the, the, the way in which it played itself out in the cityscape. So, mm-hmm. Most of it took place in a basketball court. <laughs> a fair yeah. amount of it, yep. <laughs> Which, I mean, and those the exist. Underpass, yes. <laughs> like, th those exist. There's one mm -hmm. of those courts six blocks from my office. Mm -hmm. um, and then the dance, when I was looking at it, I, I was like, where on earth is there a church in Manhattan this big that doesn't have any pews? And then I was like, wait a minute. This is 1961, which is before Vatican II. So conceivably, they would have been standing the entire time. No, that that uh, was a, that's a church they basement. Was, they it's, said it was a gym, though. A gym, yeah. Well, yeah, they later said it was a gym, but clearly it was not a gym. I, I just assumed it was a church basement. I mean, that's what church basements are for, is they're for dances. 
<laughs> not if you're Baptist. Many, well, okay, but I've been in many an Anglican church basement, not for dances, but for other things. And they have spaces that are for gatherings of people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what they're for. Um, for socializing under the watchful eye of an, uh, adults. <laughs> but what I really loved was how the balcony scene was on her fire escape. Yes, yeah, that was know, the it was, perfect use of the... It was, yeah, it was everything. Yeah, it was exactly right. I mean, you just, you cannot get more New York City than the fire escape. Like I'm looking out the window at mine right now. Like the ladder Mm -hmm. is right there. Yeah. Even as someone, I've never been to New York City and it still was, that's exactly what it should have, should have been and was. Yeah. I thought, in fact, I mean, that's one of the things I thought it was really surprisingly faithful to the plot beats or the scene beats Mm. of the movie. Of the play, sorry. I thought, you know, like I, I was I was interested in seeing how closely it kept to, I mean, it didn't have every scene. He had no Rosalind. He had yeah. no, you know, there's there's lots of stuff that was left out. But yeah. But nonetheless, in sort of order, it what? went in, you know, it had all the scenes. It even had the wedding. And I thought the way they did the wedding was really brilliant. You know, there was no wedding, but there was a wedding. I mean, it was silly, but it was... But it was it was cute. Yeah, they were kind of playing. It was representative yeah. of. But it was playing. But then it transformed mid-play to, yeah. into them it's true, you know, pledging themselves yeah. in as meaningful a way as it could possibly be to one another. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think would work a lot better on stage as well. Right. Yeah, because you you've already suspended your disbelief. You don't have to. But I mean, they had the they had the cross in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right in the in the window up at the top and then the light yeah and i mean filmically they did something that i thought i mean in the 60s it makes a lot of sense but i thought it was pretty silly when they would look at each other and then like vaseline would be rubbed all over the lens except around <laughs> them yeah everything would go all all uh, not even blurry. soft focus yeah. but completely blurry everywhere yeah, like, except for themselves yeah it, it was it was cute it was a little too much but, Though they reference it in the singing, which I thought was interesting when she says, you know, I looked at you and the rest, everything else, the world slipped away or something like that. The world disappeared. And I thought, OK, well, at least you're you're carrying through what you've done visually. You're you're referencing <laughs> and saying, yeah, that's what it feels like. And that's what yeah. it looks like. Yeah. I thought the the wedding was important, though, too, because it then justifies them sleeping together. Right. Yeah. In the same way it does in the play. Yeah, yeah. It does exactly the same thing. Now, in the play, I just forgotten now. Is that is the order it happens? He kills Tybalt, yes. and then he comes, and yes. then they sleep yeah, together. Yeah. Okay, I think because it was her brother, it was more jarring. Yes, it really was. Like yeah. I really thought, what the hell, woman? <laughs> like I yeah. mean, come on. I I get you forgiving him. I I, I do. I that but immediately? I I can understand. But but the immediately going to sex. Like, quite apart from the fact that he's the one who killed your brother, like, your brother is dead. Ah, don't you care? Like, I just, Mm. whereas I don't feel that about Juliet with Tybalt, Mm -hmm. you know, your cousin. I mean, like, I'm sure you're sad and all the rest of it, but like, I can see how love for Romeo could overcome that. Yeah. But this is her brother who has been in loca parentis, even though she has parents too, but like, surely she should feel more about that moment. And I agree with you, John, that the way she treated Anita after that also felt like, really? Yeah. Like, that... Even if you're going to say that, even if she was going to say, look, in the end, I can't help it. I love him. I can't help it. There needed to be a moment of, I am so sorry. I am so sad for you. You are sad. I know that with Anita. Like she needed to do that. And yeah. She didn't. So I did hold that against her. <laughs> and in in terms of sort of slight character shifts um mm-hmm. you know as you point out there's no rosaline right mm-hmm. um and i think that that's a real different character for for tony, him yeah. for tony he's much more likable and you know a perfect character right he's he's a, he's much a, more responsible he's a good and... guy he's he's against the fighting you know you, yeah really he's, lo- you, you you like him yeah he he's too good to be in a gang honestly yeah well and he's not right and i he's mean not. He, he's out of the gang he's out yeah. of the gang he's he's gone out of the gang already but romeo in in romeo and juliet is is much more 
ambiguous in that mm-hmm. sense. You you know, he's he's fickle, he's he's a bit of a goof. Yeah. You you don't get the sense that he's as serious mm-hmm. about, you know, being faithful to mm-hmm. to Juliet as she is to him. Whereas Tony has this whole I know something's coming thing yeah. which gives you this idea that he's already primed for her and he's already, you know, committed even before he meets her he's committed mm-hmm. to something. Um though I will say that you do get the same thing you do with Romeo and Juliet of people you've barely spoken three words to each other. <laughs> what is your problem? Yeah, yeah. Like because it's more real like you you kind of it's still ridiculous in Shakespeare, but because it's, you know, on stage in Shakespeare and so much convention, you can kind of overlook some of it. But when you make it as realistic, semi-realistic as the as this, mm-hmm. it becomes even that much more ludicrous that they should be so in love when they've genuinely not mm-hmm. actually spoken more than six words. <laughs> like, well, and I mean, that's... That's really Shakespeare because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Shakespeare's source strung out the relationship over much yeah. longer. So Shakespeare does that. And then this feels like, it, even though I don't think it actually compresses in time any more than no, the it's, original, it's but, the same. It, but it feels even shorter. But it because does it's feel more that realistic. Way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Though they do get to sing together. And I mean, after all, singing, right? <laughs> like that's much more meaningful <laughs> than just speaking. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I thought there was some interesting stuff of um, kind of referencing some of the Shakespeare lines. Like when they dance at the dance, they, whatever they do, their choreographed dance. But the dancers in the background are doing almost Shakespearean dancing. I don't know if you noticed because they're very blurred out and in the background. Mm. But they're doing that thing of like hand up to meet the hand, like the sort of stylized almost high-fiving and then turning to do the other high f- I didn't hand. Notice that. They were doing some of that like that kind of Elizabethan mm. dancing that you see when people do those those yeah. uh, scenes. And they were doing some of that. And I sort of thought of, uh, I was reminded of the of Juliet's lines about palm to palm, palm to and palm. Holy Palmer's kiss and yeah. all of that stuff. Mm. She wasn't saying that, but there was some hand action. If you'll excuse the term. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like they were mimicking what she says in the play. <laughs> so hand action is what you're talking about. <laughs> talking about their chased oh. hand action. Yes. Is that is that a hand in your pocket or are you happy to see me? <laughs> That's a rocket in your pocket, boy. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> I, I don't know where to go from there. Oh. I... I there were a couple of scenes where I thought there were very subtle references to the actual text of Shakespeare, is what I'm trying mm. to say. Um, that's the lay behind it, even though they didn't say the any, you know, anything beha- close to it. Oh, just shush. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were you trying to put on labia or on lay behind? <laughs> I mean, you can't have a musical without lips. It's why there are no great musicals about chickens. Oh, goodness. Oh, my. What I find really interesting, (laughs) I looked this up, and apparently the original idea was for it to take place between a a Catholic boy and a Jewish girl. Oh. And it was going to be called East Side Story. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, probably going to work, too. I did love, I've got to say, I loved the earnestness, I guess, of the choreography paired with the characters. Like in that first opening scene where the jets are going on the rampage, you know, and they're being all masculine and being all tough and they're pirouetting. And it's just like, I mean, it was great. And it, it's just, it, it stood out so much because now you, you know, you know how it would be done in a sort of much more street kind of uh, choreography or whatever. But this is just straight ahead, sort of classical modern dance paired with a very kind of like rough and tough costuming and all the rest of it. And it works really well, but it just, I thought it was kind of charming. 
Yeah, I mean, I was surprised by how balletic their dance mm-hmm. was. It really if this was. Were done, if this were done today, that would definitely not be the case. Yeah. I did love the choreography. I really did. I thought it was so, it was just so evocative of the physicality of the combination of the control and the un- inability to control how physical they were, like how they had to move and how they had to act and how they their emotion had to come out. Yeah, I, I mean, it was the really beautifully done. duet between Mercutio and Tibble was just that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I as a film, like, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. So what did, what did you guys think about the sort of generational aspect of it? I mean, one of the important themes of uh, Romeo and Juliet is... Um, how does young love survive in the face of an adult world with its adult pressures? Mm. Here, we only see, for the most part anyways, we only see the the younger generation. And it's very focused on their pressures. Yeah, and, it, and the pressures, um, it is the young people themselves who are policing, if you forgive me, because I know there are actually police, but mm-hmm. <laughs> who are policing the relationships, Yeah. right? So unlike it being Romeo and Juliet who are escaping the strictures of the adults who care when they don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that nobody p- made them marry. You know, there wasn't Friar Lawrence who thought this mm-hmm. was a good idea, who thought that, you know, he could kind of achieve some gain mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. facilitating their happiness in such a way. right. Yeah, they just, they were acting entirely under their own impetus. There was Mm -hmm. no, even the nurse or whatever, Anita, as you say, is the nurse. But she wasn't in any way pushing her on. No. I mean, the nurse does. The nurse does drive. Keep it a secret, but. But I do not approve and I'm not on your side on this one. And yeah. yeah. Because like in Romeo and Juliet, to a certain extent, they are pawns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and, and in, in West Side Story, they're not even in the game. Though mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so, I mean, you know, there's a little, there's a nod to it with Chino has already been set up for her yes, as her, as her fiance, basically. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. not affianced, but that's clearly what is being set mm-hmm. up. And and the fact that Bernardo, it's her older brother, obviously matters. There is some, so there's a little bit of a generational thing like that. Yeah. Tony is older than than Riff, I guess, or maybe not. It's not clear because they're, they're old friends. But you know, he's kind of aged out of the gang a little bit. But it's but it's, it's you're right. It's not the same generational tension at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in in, in the in the play, uh, they suffer at the hands of or at, at as a result of their parents' strife. Right here, right. this is not their parents' strife in a sense. It's it's their peer group's strife. Yeah, though there's that element of the society as a whole. That that you know, causes that the problem, causes yes. it. Yeah. So they yeah. are inheriting. They are inheriting. I mean, the, what is racial identity? But your parents, mm-hmm. right? They you are know. inheriting their parents' um, problems. But I g- agree that the fact that the parents are not in the picture, that literally yeah. not in the picture, not, yeah. does sort of downplay that. It downplays anyways. that, and it gives it a different kind of focalization. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we even hear when when they're talking. Tony says, "You know, will your dad like me?" Will your father like me? She says, no, he's like Bernardo. But it's interesting that mm-hmm. it's, he's like, like Bernardo, Bernardo not as Bernardo's if it's like, almost yeah. Bernardo who's more the the one who's deciding what what our attitudes are yeah. and then her father yeah. is following on, though mm-hmm. probably that isn't the way, but that's the way it's portrayed. So, And as you say, there, you know, one of the jets says, you know, we didn't make this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really key line. Yeah. Um, and, then, and I think the, impo- the way that the lieutenant is revealed as being just as racially charged as everybody else and just as much about like I don't like any of you and I think you're all horrible immigrant scum and I am going to kind of keep these barriers and make these hatreds worse than they were so the the, the when the adult world does intrude mm. it doesn't it mm-hmm. does uh, at least his element of it does kind of solidify those things doc on the other hand of course is is the other attitude yeah yeah he's another piece of pathos really in the end yeah when you kids gonna stop killing each other yeah yeah and then the sorrow of him and then also he's there because friar lawrence is there so you need you know he he sort of has a very obvious shakespearean role yeah no i thought i 
I was impressed by how, as I said, closely it kind of follows the beats of the play. And yet by the end of it, I think it, as you said, Mark, it, it tells a different story, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing to demonstrate about Shakespearean adaptation. Pretty much told the same story, two houses divided, you know, a love, people who are kept apart, who joke join together we even have the same things happening the same messages going astray the same almost the same not the same quite the same ending yeah and yet the themes and the story it tells is actually quite quite different different. well i mean you the same thing i would argue happens with 10 things now granted 10 Mm -hmm. things is more loose of an adaptation Mm -hmm. but taming of the shrew i mean depending on how you interpret it is mostly about buckling a woman Mm-hmm. And Ten Things I Hate About You is is about how Patrick changes because he comes to appreciate that powerful woman. And mm-hmm. like he he appreciates her independence and her ferocity. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, I think that both of those... I, I think it's even more notable with Westside because of how close it is to the Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. I think both of them um, demonstrate sort of malleability of the text to give you different stories to get, you know, that you can, if you translate it, you can make a powerful story that nonetheless actually tells a different story, which is sort of, of course, what Shakespeare did. I mean, you talked about that, Mark, when we yeah. did the uh, Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet, that Shakespeare took a source text that kind of had a different a point different to make point. yeah, and turned it into a different story, yeah. even though he kept pretty much most of the, plot the same yeah well i mean but isn't that what he does with history Mm -hmm. yes no exactly no i think it's i think it's interesting to to be able to see that replicated that shakespeare did it but that now people when they deal with shakespeare can do the same thing yeah yeah and i think it's it's particularly noticeable when you can see how closely Mm -hmm. it follows it Mm -hmm. and yet how and yet how how different. different just a couple of changes make such a big difference yeah well, I don't really have much more to add, and I'm getting a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think <laughs> but, I think we're good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's lots more one could say about just the movie itself, but many, many other people have talked about West Side Story. <laughs> I don't think we need to add <laughs> a yeah. blow-by-blow discussion of it. I'm sure right now there's, uh, well, right now in listening time, there's some high school student listening to this, having found it on the internet and needing to write an essay for the next day (laughs) about comparing West Side Story to Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) And this will probably do them no good at all. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Sorry, we weren't more helpful there. Um, No, but I mean, this is a blanket statement, which means it's going to come back and bite me in the ass. (laughs) But between this and Zeffirelli, I feel like we kind of have the two perfect interpretations of Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. In, you know, a decade time span. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I guess both of them were, were coming at it with this the same sort of, you know, not that far apart, a cultural uh, understanding of it. But there's just so much um, the the youth of the the actors in the yeah, Zeffirelli and the, the youth really of this one. And, they're yeah. dedicated to that young audience. Yeah, and, and, and to the young to... audience and to the really, to, to trying to get to the core of the youthful emotion. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, in, when we talked about the Zeffirelli, we really talked about how much we felt like the, the children were children. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Natalie Wood was, over time, a famous child actress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who looks nothing like a Puerto Rican. Yeah, no, there's a whole other question you could have. We could have a whole other discussion about yeah. race in them. In the I movie. mean, there's a lot of brown face <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, there's a um, lot of stuff we could talk about, but, but <laughs> not worrying about that too much. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I do think the movie, like, you know, West Side Story is so focused on what I've been saying this whole time of, of like that physicality and that emotionality of, of what it is to be these yeah. children who are almost adults trapped in this world. And I felt like Zeffirelli was very much about that too, and that that that's how they they seem so connected, even though they take in in other ways radically different approaches to the yeah. Play. And I mean, well, it's it, it's expressing it in a way that th- that you can attach to at that age, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A fifteen year old, a sixteen year old, you know, might go through a Romeo and Juliet phase and might commit to memory of the lines, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks, but you're not really going to know what that means mm-hmm. but you know tonight tonight like yeah that 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 reaches you on a different level yeah absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely 
All right. Let's put an end to it there, shall we? Yeah. (laughs) Let's call that a night. (laughs) I feel like we've said all that we have to say right now. Absolutely. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, You know, join in next time. Uh, I'm John. I'm Avon. And I'm Mark. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to As We Like It. You can find more episodes and more information about the show at theextracurricular.com and find more about Avon and Mark's other projects at alliterative.net. If you enjoyed today, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher, as your five stars can really help us reach new listeners. You can reach us all on Twitter. I'm at Alliterative. I'm at Avon Sarah, A-V-E-N-S-A-R-A-H. And I'm at John Vox, J-O-N-V-O-X. <laughs>